0: Well, hello and uh, welcome to another podcast from Guernsey Sustainable Finance Week, looking at the private capital's role in uh, financing sustainability in the post-COVID-19 era. And Today I'm joined by Ben McQuay, who's from the great and good of the Hong Kong Green Finance community. He was founder and co-chair of the Hong Kong Green Finance Task Force, which was a um, surprise the establishment of the Hong Kong Green Finance Association. And He's vice president and special advisors to the chairman of the Hong Kong Green Finance Association. He's also a leading light uh, in, in legal circles, uh, part of a law firm out in Hong Kong. Um, welcome today, Ben. Um, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for the generous introduction.
1: Yeah, well, I, I find it's always best to be generous with hosts and they'll uh, they'll repay you with, with quality <laughs> dialogue and analysis
2: Oh, well, I didn't read the small print. I definitely didn't see that part. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure, of course. Always a pleasure to talk to you and and... and You know, I I very much appreciate the opportunity to be part of your Sustainable
0: Finance Week. Well, it's fantastic for you to join us, Ben. Listen, we've had a great week here um, with Sustainable Finance Week. We've had the role of uh, private capital financing sustainability, looking at the role of private equity investment, family offices, a real small award of really juicy stuff about how private capital can finance a sustainable recovery post-COVID. But uh, you know me, and we've known each other a long time now, appreciate things, you know, that year zero just didn't happen on the resumption of some sort of normality in mid-May, early June. Um, Going into the COVID crisis, there was some serious momentum behind the Green and Sustainable Finance Agenda. I mean, 2019 was the year of, well, over here, Extinction Rebellion and and globally Greta Thunberg and some real huge advocacy going on around the Green Agenda. Obviously, COP26 was going to be held in the UK this year. Um, And so if we take a step back, just calming things down a bit, going into the crisis, may I ask you, what were the three key themes and issues that you saw from the Asian perspective uh, that were, you know, were, around the two sort of you that were key on the Sustainable
2: and Green Agenda? Sure. Well, well, thanks for that. And, you know, if, if I may, let me come back to your question in a moment because I think first I'd, just, I'd like to make a, a general remark, perhaps to set the scene a little bit. Um, the, the, the virus has shown us all uh, very graphically and, of course, for many people painfully, that we are all highly vulnerable to systemic risk and that therefore we have to become sustainable. Um, Being sustainable is is really about being resilient, and to achieve that, of course, we have to adapt. And so resilience and adaptability are are key to sustainability. And, And one way or another, over the past four or five months or so, we've all had to adapt. We've all had to become more resilient. So even those of us who haven't been directly or materially impacted so, for example the kids the students have all had to learn new uh, techniques online learning techniques which of course puts pressure on the uh, parents and the, the teachers to find new ways to teach them we've all had to dig deep to to keep our businesses going to keep our people employed families fed and healthy and of course to try and keep mentally fit and physically fit too okay we've had a chance in the last uh, or an opportunity i suppose in the last few months, to all think about what we need, what we don't need, and of course, what's important. And so I, I mentioned this just at the outside because, in a way, your sustainable finance week version 2.0, the online version, and is really a, I would say, an example of this newfound adaptability. And as I'm, I'm very sure it would have been a lot easier for you guys just to postpone with the virus attack. I mean, let's face it, these events. A week-long event to boot is, is is a huge undertaking at the easiest of times. But instead, you, you guys chose to forge ahead, but not just forge ahead, to completely reshape, rethink your event. You know, rethink how you're going to make sure you get your hugely important sustainability message across to, uh, to your network. So... Before we get rolling on the, the Q&A, I'd just like to uh, really give a big shout out to, to you and everyone in Guernsey who's involved in your event, and indeed to everyone around the world who has chosen to recognize the connection between the epidemic and the mounting environmental, biodiversity, and social challenges that we all need to work together to fix. And of course, we all need to pay for. Um, so let me sort of s- s- start with a bravo to you guys.
0: Now, I really appreciate the sentiment, Ben. You know, it's um, been a it's been a testing time, and and going through that, you're absolutely right. At some stage, at one stage, you know, it's like, um, oh, is it going to be worth it? You know, can we do it? All those sorts of questions, um, and we went through. But you're absolutely right. We've learned so much about ourselves, actually, and about the broader world, and about change and you know, our adaptability in the process of doing this. So, really appreciate the comments. Thank you.
2: You're most welcome. I think the lessons that y- y- you've learned. And the the sort of skills that you've had to sort of work out to, to retool and reboot your event, you know these are all lessons and skills that we all need to learn and adapt to at a personal level, at a corporate level, at a national level, in order to uh, in order to learn the lessons from the last four or five months to actually accelerate the sustainable future that we're all uh, working towards. So, um, shall I come back to your question now? Why, if you insist. Okay. So um, let let me just share with you some uh, thoughts and updates, perspectives from from Hong Kong. So um, as you may know, in, in Hong Kong, our sustainable finance journey really started to gain momentum in 2017 in response to a powerful government policy commitment to green finance. I mean we, we 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 call it green finance. We'll we'll come on later, I'm sure, to some of the differences between the different colours and types of finance that are relevant to sustainability. But um so in Hong Kong we call it green finance. And so our policy was 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 really to help Hong Kong become a leading green international financial centre. So, as you may know, the central government in Beijing was one of the first uh, governments globally to establish a comprehensive green finance policy agenda, and of course, there are significant green finance upside opportunities for Hong Kong, being China's international financial hub you know, in support of this agenda. So that was really I think the the beginning of, uh, of the um, you know the, 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 the impetus that we're now uh, seeing and and, and, and trying to drive forward. Um, two years or so ago, we launched our Green Finance Association, which is a private sector initiative, albeit with public sector support, and, and we focus on advocacy and education. Um, currently, we have a 100 and something plus membership that includes a lot of financial institutions, um, but also is reflective of the stakeholder base, broad stakeholder base that we have in Hong Kong say our first priority was, was just to spread the word, encourage others to get with the program. And I would say we've been pretty unrelenting uh, in, in this through our working groups, our engagement with public bodies, numerous events, publications, and of course, like everyone, the recent surge in uh, webinars, which, which were new, a new offering to us, which have proved really popular and effective. Um, as you as you'll know, Hong Kong is a founder of the UN uh, FC4S Financial Centers for Sustainability Network, whose membership includes Guernsey, of course, and and this provides an effective channel for us for international engagement. I mean, as, at the end of the day, and as you know, we're all still learning in this space, and we have a lot to learn from one another. So, so to your I guess question specifically, you in regards to the general themes and trends, I don't think. This has changed much for us, pre or post COVID. Although I suspect there will be a shift in uh, in uh, sort of focus in response to what we see in the market, and where we've always been into green finance. Maybe post COVID, we're going to see more social, food and agri landscapes, biodiversity finance than we have in the past. Um, In terms of current trends, I mean, there's so much going on at the moment, but let me just pick on sort of one trend because I think this is deeply important to what we're all trying to achieve. Um, The one development I'd like to highlight is the, I would say, serious commitment we're now seeing from our government institutions. So, So let me just give you a few examples of that. So, firstly, our stock exchange, the Hong Kong EX, has now mandated the disclosure of ESG data, which means from next month, all listed Hong Kong companies will be subject to a mandatory ESG reporting requirement, whereas previously it was optional, which is a big deal because data, the availability of reliable data, as we know, is a is a is for many a barrier to entry to serious investment in this space. A second development I'd like to share with you was the announcement just two weeks ago of our Green and Sustainable Finance Cross-Agency Steering Group, A pithily named, uh, but actually very powerful and important uh, steering group because it comprises our central bank, the uh, monetary authority, the uh, uh, Hong Kong exchange, the securities regulator, pension authority, insurance authority, as well as the uh, government ministries for environment and financial services. And so, you know, a powerful demonstration that all of a sudden, you know, all of our sort of governmental institutions who are critical to the implementation of our green finance policy are uh, now very much um, at the table and uh, and advocating for green finance. And if you don't mind, let me just read uh, briefly what the terms of reference are, um, specifically to coordinate the management of climate and environmental risk to the financial sector accelerate the growth of green and sustainable finance in Hong Kong, and support the government's climate strategies through various measures. So time will tell uh, what what that actually means, but a very powerful signal. And finally, and this is so hot off the press, it hasn't actually been announced yet. So in the coming days, our SFC, the securities regulator, will announce the formation of its own uh, climate change task force. Which is a continuation from its a uh, asset manager survey undertaken last year, and although it's it'll be unfair to uh, to 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 predict too closely what um what what the conclusions of this uh, task force, but I think a lot of observers expect that it will conclude with the SFC imposing some kind of mandatory disclosure obligation on asset managers and and possibly more. And so, just to perhaps conclude this point, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of uh activity in hong kong um the the developments that i've mentioned were in play before covid and they are sort of continuing to uh, to, to 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 take place I, I don't think any uh there haven't been any meaningful developments
1: as a result of covid but maybe there will in in time look a lot of interesting points there Ben. Um, I mean, one question i did have for you was the affirmation as it were of the,
0: of the need for the greenness of the recovery um, we were talking earlier um, you know, the Energy Transmission Commission said that we could, and you know, we should learn from the lessons of the COVID crisis, which had demonstrated the unpreparedness of the global economy to systemic risks. Um, which is the point you made right at the beginning in your instruction. And I said that if we, or oh, said that, I should say, if we invest in hard, high carbon activities without climate conditionalities, we'd only be preparing ourselves for future round or unpreparing ourselves for future rounds of systemic crises. And I just wanted to ask. If that was the view out in Asia too, I mean, over here you've got the UK government talking about the green recovery, you've got the European Union talking about the green recovery, and you're talking about a steering group for developments in the finance sector out there in Hong Kong. Is the commitment to a green recovery deep, and you know, is, is it a deep seated in, in Hong Kong and Asia? Okay, I mean, I mean, to, to to me, the the issue
2: at the heart of the question is is whether we think COVID. Well, specifically the COVID recovery is going to take, take money away from sustainable finance.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, you, you, you mentioned green finance, but I mean, maybe we can agree that the sort of the agenda is b- broader than just green finance. But I think the starting point has to be that there should be no doubt that COVID has caused and will continue to cause unimagin- unimaginable, excuse me pain and suffering to, to millions, probably billions of people around the world. And so the first priority everywhere must surely be just to save lives and get through it, basically survival. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, we we should also be in no doubt that the way we have lived, you know, individually as a global community too, the way we consume, invest, waste, and so the list goes on, it's just not sustainable. So so to your question about sentiment, I'm not sure yet if there's a general sentiment in Hong Kong regarding our recovery other than the simple fact that people want stimulus. But what I do observe is that a lot of people have made the connection between COVID-19 and sustainability, and I think this is really important. But it's not just a question of green, okay, or green recovery, which, which I think the question implies, because we have to address sustainability more broadly, because I think we can all agree that, the virus has exposed our collective vulnerability to systemic risk. That has to be undeniable. Mm. But the impact of COVID has also exposed gaping social inequalities that probably exist everywhere. Um, but this, this illustration dem- is probably a demonstration that we just haven't been paying enough attention to the S in, in
0: ESG, and, and, and maybe that's something that we should be um, uh, looking that's at. That's a good point. You make the point about the sustainability agenda. It's very much a, a Venn diagram of things, isn't it, in terms of climate finance, sustainability in general, the SDGs, the impact agenda, the SG investing approach, and um, coming off all of those in different issues. I mean, different things mean different things to different people. But uh, People talk the same language, actually, sometimes, but they meaning different things because it's all different chapters of the same book. Um, but your answer there was almost giving me the answer to my next question, which is basically pivoting to a general lessons to be learnt. Um, if I can summarise your response, you were saying that the, the general response is the learning from this has been our, um, our lack of resilience to, to general uh, systemic risks and the fragility of the system. So if I was to ask you about lessons to be learnt for sustainability, I think you've already given me that. And I do want to move on to maybe the private finance aspect now. Um, I read a report recently from McKinsey that was talking about steps and responses to the crisis, what lessons could be learned from our response to the crisis. And you know, could we transpose it across in general to sustainability and green finance? But what steps do you think investors or, or owners of private capital and wealth could be doing to align their responses to the pandemic with sustainability? So, for all learning lessons, generally, whether that's the government level, the policymaker, the advocacy level. When it comes to your clients, what lessons do you think they can learn in their investing agenda? You know, aligning their response to the pandemic with sustainability.
2: Sure, and actually, you know, I think there are there are lots of lessons that we that we've learnt, lots of lessons that we we should learn from sustain from the uh, excuse me from the COVID uh, virus, and you know, being being more broadly aware of the the need to be sustainable is is just just one of them. I mean, with, with regards to um, the uh, alignment and uh, the role of private finance, one suggestion would be to clarify what we mean by investing and investment, because we tend to conflate financial investment with investments in real assets. Mm-hmm. So I think in the context of you know, this discussion, I think we're talking about the need to raise huge amounts of capital to rebuild physical infrastructure. Uh, in order to facilitate sustainability, of course, we're not really talking about investing in sort you of know, ESG ETFs, which, although important, may do little to actually bridge the funding gap. So, I, I think it's important when we're talking about investing to be clear what we're we're, we're talking about. And 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 another point, um, you know, a related point is that you know the, the crisis has brought. You know, environmental, biodiversity, social risks, as well as the financial impact of not being sustainable in, into sharp focus for, for all investors and financial institutions. And so being sustainable is about being resilient. And, and COVID-19 has provided a, you know, the, the starkest possible reminder that we all need to be more resilient in our investment and spending decisions. And so my, my, my take is that, you know, while most Investors and institutions already have a sort of high level awareness of uh, environmental related risks. Um, the fact that COVID 19 has exposed so many other risks, including social inequalities, would be you know, good, good reason for investors and financial institutions to start you know, re- rethinking and reevaluating you know, how they make their uh, investment decisions. And just perhaps to finish up on this point, a a fund manager told me recently that investors are already looking at a company's resilience by evaluating their response during the crisis. So, for example, factors such as adaptability, leadership, crisis management, etc., treatment of employees, of course, which is hugely important, as well as a willingness to be part of the solution. You did all, all these... May make a difference to 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 future investment decisions and so you know we, we all have to be uh you know we're, whether we're looking for money or to raise money or looking to deploy money we need to be much broader i think in our uh in our uh sort of risk
0: assessment oh very thoughtful ben very very thoughtful um i found myself nodding away in agreement with just about every point you're making there so know thanks that. And, and you actually make a good point about the ESG and the portfolio investments versus the investments in physical infrastructure and assets. And the ESG point actually reminds me of something else, you know, talking about, I think, um, one of the things we had last year and into this year was about the ESG investments providing greater returns. And in the green space, Roger, we both know really well, in terms of the UK Green Finance Institute, is always making the point about green investments, specifically being about making return. And it wasn't a trade-off between you know, fighting climate change and generating return. But the ESA they sort of agenda, you know, talking about the returns you would get from those stocks that demonstrated higher scoring in those factors and the underlying points, you know, the resilience that you just made is, is very much an example of that. I think, obviously, the recent example is a uh, similar report from HSBC that demonstrated through the crisis uh, about the higher returns. Um, and, and there are many others. Um, in fact, you not know, everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, you know, if others have said, you know what, Um, what are we thinking of you know hold on a second everybody in in the right here right now and and there are millions possibly hundreds of millions of people around the world without employment because of COVID-19 you know an immediate priority needs to be focused elsewhere you know so they say you know people are saying you know hold on a second what's going on I mean, I mean that's a long preamble to the question. I'm sorry, I've just gone off on a little bit on one. But, you know, how do you see demand currently for what I'd call green finance products or demand for finance for bridging that gap amongst the investment community? Um, do you see it's there or do you think that sustainability is not necessarily being impacted yet? Um, I mean, we're talking about funding gap, which is trillions. Um, do you think that's going to be more difficult to, you know, to bridge post-COVID? <laughs> I suppose t- time time
2: will tell, but but to me, COVID is is provided these motherable data points because the the, the world has functioned as best it can, the financial uh, system has functioned as best it can um, for the last four or five months or so, which which provides a lot a lot of data. I mean, I agree entirely that. You know we, we should be thinking you know more than green finance. We should be thinking you know sustainable finance in its broadest uh, sense. And I think you know the starting point is that you know it's good news for investors that we're talking about you know green, sustainable, SDG, ESG, social climate, et cetera, et cetera. So the list goes on because it implies there's more choice. But I think you know investors in sustainability still need better data, and particularly ESG and performance data. And, and of course, many more investment opportunities. So, so regarding better returns and performance data specifically, you know, I, I I'm I'm told by my colleagues that, and this is a direct quote, um, all ESG funds have outperformed, and this is outperformed um, um, in the region of three to four percent relative to standard benchmarks, indices, etc. And and also that while it's, I'm told that while it's still too easy too early rather to tell that there's evidence that climate and ESG stocks have outperformed too so so you know there's there's i think direct as a direct result of covid there's this understanding that you know we, we need to invest to become resilient we need to invest to become sustainable um, we also need to deploy a huge amount of Capital in order to to trigger the the, the global recovery, and so you know, we, we, there's there's a, that, that has to present a unique opportunity. Hmm. Um, so so I, I, I still have a feeling that you know whilst there is positive from an ESG investor standpoint, there's positive data that's going to be uh, that's going to be uh, available, um, um, you know, as a result of COVID. You know, the, the, we have to ask ourselves whether there is enough sort of investable opportunities out there in the market yet. And so, you know, a, a focus has to be, you know, to to match the demand for sustainable investments with a supply of you know the, the the usual, but also new products, which of course is going to require a bit of um, a bit of uh, creativity. Uh, on, on the part of all of us.
1: Yep, that's
0: a fair point. Uh, absolutely, in terms of matching supply and demand. At the end of the day, some of the basic rules of economics will remain ch- unchanged throughout this. I mean, but it's a good point, mate. Um, if I hark back to the returns point, um, I mean, we in Guernsey, Guernsey, Guernsey we took some research last year also around family offices. Um, sample of group was representing about 25 billion in assets, a so, you know, reasonably significant sample group. And it was at the height of the circus, you know, the green circus that is. That's the Greta would the across to New York. And I was say, you know, 51% of respondents said, yeah, yeah, we're looking at increasing our exposures to the asset class. You know, oh, that's great, yeah, brilliant, great news. But then as you go, older oh, on a second, that means 49% of you aren't. So what are the reasons for that? And fundamentally it boiled down to, well, look, we're still not confident in returns and we're not confident in robustness of the product. Um, it's, you know, it explains the thing in Guernsey, what our strategy, our route has been is to, is to develop products that are robust and transparent. You know, our Guernsey Green Fund, uh, our regulated Green Fund regime, you know, designed to give the investor confidence there. Uh, and that idea is behind everything we do in terms of the need to reconcile returns. You know, at the end of the day, this is people's, when we talk about private government, this is people's actual money. Yes, we're all in it together. want to change the world and make the world a better place. But, yeah, at the end of the day, it's still... About um, preservation and increasing uh, capital. So, do you see any tensions there? I've gone on again with the, you know with the need to invest in a sustainable future, um, particularly in Asia. There's any particular unique perspectives that, you, that they have or that your investors have have out in Asia? Okay, I mean, I, I think
2: you know, in, in, in sort of initial response to that question, you know, we we we, we, we I'm sure we'll all agree that we, we need more data points. We need more data points to, to to show that sustaining, excuse me, investing sustainably is 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 good for returns. Um, you know there are. I am told you know data points coming out of the uh, the, the crisis that will hopefully help trigger demand and also help um, alleviate some of the. I suppose, scepticism that uh, investors still have in relation to returns and, of course, the underlying product. So it's hard to speak for our financial institutions, but I would say that many people believe that financial institutions, not just in Hong Kong, of course, really need need to look to reprice their book to to start factoring in longer-term climate as well as other sustainability risks. And, And secondly, really, that the regulators should step in to make it happen. So I, I think a key, a key point that we need to just continue to remind ourselves and remind others that a sustainability recovery won't happen by itself. You know, we need government. We need the institutions to play a lead role. And, of course, financial policy is key. Well, that's
0: a good point. And so... Oh, okay. My point is, yeah. Please, go ahead. You said about the need for government, and you make a very personal point. Um, the paper I read recently from Oxford Smith with Stiglitz, um, you know, you put those two round figures on an author list, and everyone reads it. Uh, but they said that the sustainable recovery packages from governments are going to be necessary to address climate change. And without a sustainable recovery, emissions will rise, and, and the private sector will just not enough on their own um, in the depressed economy. So, you know, given that, this echoes the point you were making: the need for collective action, for government action. How, how significant is the role of private capital going to be, do you think?
2: Well, let me let me respond initially by saying that I, I had the great pleasure of meeting uh, Lord Stern in Hong Kong a couple of years ago, and I know better than to attempt to try to add value to, to his or his
1: esteemed <laughs> colleague's observations, <laughs> well, on, which, <laughs> I, which I agree with. So We're let, setting the bar let, high. Let, 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 let me sort of... Uh, half half, half sidestep
2: half side the uh, question. So, to, to me, green finance has always been about mobilising the private sector to, to fund the, the lion's share of the, let's face it, huge cost of meeting the decarbonisation commitments made by our uh, world leaders in Paris uh, at COP21. Okay, and, and sustainable climate, ESG, SDG, etc., etc., is, to me, just an, an extension of this, really a broadening of the narrative and I think the point being that the, private, the public sector, get that right, has never had the money to pay for the cleanup, which means the role of the private sector and, of course, private capital is absolutely critical. So, as I see it, the, the, our ability to, to tackle climate, climate change, clean up the mess, etc., it, it has to be entirely dependent on the success of a public-private collaboration that you know because of the scale of the problem it's a collaboration that needs to exist on a an unprecedented global scale you know a concerted response to a global crisis and i think you know the success of this collaboration which let's face it is a, is no mean feat you know the success of the collaboration will require thoughtful uh, allocation of public funds to, to stimulate private sector interest and capital. I mean, coming back to some of the previous points about, you know, the, the concerns of demand and, you know, trust and faith in the products, etc. You know, the, the, how we spend the public contribution to the big sustainability cleanup is, is critical to our uh, ability, the effectiveness and the scale and speed, which is, which is of course, very important with which we can uh, mobilise the, the, the private sector, private capital contribution.
1: Yeah, I I, I, I agree. Um, yeah, it's one of uh, I'm again finding myself just listening to you, nodding away there, Not um, <laughs> nodding off. I hope. No, no, no. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 what, I, what I was trying to do so is try to remember that newly named steering group because I was about to ask you. Uh, ask oh, you. Don't, don't it worry. There'll be a test. <laughs> there'll be a test. <laughs> but, but, but genuinely.
0: Um, You've mentioned it a few times now. I mean, talk about the need for data points the great initiative from your exchange about making ESG reporting mandatory. Which brings me on to the question I wanted to ask, which is that with the smalls board of regulations, frameworks, principles, taxonomies, etc., etc., etc. I mean, here in basically in Guernsey, we're, we're a policy taker. We, we commit to international standards and we're standards taker in that respect. That's how we approach life. Um, but we did publish last week some green P principles. And the XDG of the BBC 18 Home said that they're the enormous asset of simplicity, you know, being a straightforward how to do it manual. Um, you know, so, I mean, do you have any views on that on that issue, whether the risks of overcomplicating things, you know, in our charge to do good with, you know, rules and regulations, or, you know, have you got some hmm. sort of magic problem to point in the right direction in this regard? Okay, well,
2: firstly, congratulations on your uh, your green PE principles, I think. Um I think um, the taxonomy and standardization debate has been going on for quite some time. Um, And, you know, let's face it, there are new standards coming out all the time. Um, My my sense is that most people would prefer harmonization where possible. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think we all have to understand the rationale behind behind, um, regional standards, you know, to support transition of local economies you know particularly where say domestic industry or or the economy entirely is is has been historically dominated by by carbon heavy sectors i mean such, such as natural resources. you can't just sort of simply turn your back on uh, on um, these these industries that have been so important and just on that note, you may have seen uh, just last week that the china through various uh, agencies led by the people's uh, bank of china Opened up their uh, consolidated China green bond catalogue for public consultation, which which is actually quite important because the uh, the the expectation is that after the public consultation period is closed, that uh, clean fossil fuels or I think what we all refer to as clean coal is going to be removed from the the China definition of green, which of course moves it. More closely aligned with the uh, with the EU standards.
1: Well, I, I did indeed, Ben. Actually, I saw that. I, t- I, t- I tweeted and, and posted on social media about this. So I think it's a, a hugely significant step. there. I think. Well, well, I um, think it is, and
2: and actually, China and the EU, they, there's already a task force in place, you know, to, to harmonise their standards. So, you know, with regards to Hong Kong specifically, you know, I think you know we, we're we're not a standard setter uh, either, and I'm not aware of any sort of particular. Appetite in Hong Kong for our own Hong Kong specific taxonomy. So, so I, I think we will just continue to observe developments in the EU and the mainland China, principally because these are going to be the most relevant standards for us. And I think you know ultimately, you know where where there are competing standards, you know that the market will determine which ones are relevant and which ones are bankable. Okay,
0: so I moving on now, and we're about to get into the concluding phase of our conversation. But be- before I do, I mean, it's been brilliant that you've been here today to give us this international perspective of Asia. And being close to developments in China is really useful stuff. And that's the great thing about the green, you know, the collaborative agenda of many of the advocates of the green finance has been a huge benefit to us over here in Guernsey. And I'm sure you've learned lots, you know, lot from, from more august and learned policymakers than I with, you know, in respect to London as the, the EU with, on the knowledge transfer aspects. And coming to that knowledge transfer, I mean, the big ticket um, over here, you know, in this this time zone in the UK this year, was going to be COP26, which has obviously been postponed um, to next year. But it was good to see earlier that we'd had on World Earth Day, you know, the co-heads of COP26, Shama and Sergio Costa, the Italian finance minister, um, saying that they really wanted to work together to ensure that the challenges of public health and climate change are addressed in COP26. So in terms of, you know, that agenda for next year, do you have any hopes for private capital and sustainability with, with within that COP twenty six agenda? I mean, are there any aspects to next year's round of discussions? Do you think would you know do a benefit you, that you could bring in from Hong Kong? I, I think, from Hong Kong's
2: perspective, then this is my personal hope. You know, what I'm hoping is that the the extra year that COVID has given us, um, you know, between us, the the. COP26 2020 and COP26 2021 is, is going to give us time to, to agree a very clear pathway to becoming net zero by 2050. Okay, so, so, you know, we, we have to be ambitious and creative. We all have to be ambitious and creative. And so I, I, I hope this, you know, extra year that we've been given to, to get ready is going to uh, is going to be sort of time used wisely, and of course against the COVID backdrop, and you know t- time used wisely in the in the context of some of the you know the very clear lessons that we've uh, that we've all uh, had to learn. Um, so so that would be a very much a, a Hong Kong um, hope, which isn't necessarily. Something to come out of COP 21, but it's more a, a hope going into CO- excuse me COP 26, but more of a hope going into COP 26. Um, but I, I also hope that the, the the lessons, the many lessons, frankly, that COVID has taught us, you know, plus this again, this extra year, this extra time we have to prepare, is going to translate into some powerful financial policy initiatives. Because it, it, again, I just think we need that financial policy. You know, to support the collaboration, the public-private capital collaboration, is is can can make all the difference, particularly with regards to the the speed and scale with which we uh, with which we can uh, deploy some meaningful sustainable capital. So we'll see whether the uh, the policymakers are, are are ambitious and creative as we'd like them to be, but that that would be a, a another hope.
1: Again, very. Uh, you know, again, find myself pondering and nodding sagely, or nodding at your sage, wise words. Again, um, you know, it is. It's almost like I've imagined that you've you've sat there in front of the Tantan Buddha and and contemplated the, these questions. Um, you know, at lunch during the course of the week in preparation.
2: Not at all. It's the first time I've seen the question. What can I <laughs> say? Just what just what, just what can I head. say? Yes, yes, I'm deeply <laughs> learned.
0: <laughs> anyway, so you bring this to a great end point there, Ben, in terms of future success. I mean, one of the silver linings of this year, you know, the crisis has been the drop in emissions. You know, I mean, the IAA had assessed that they estimate a drop of, what was it, 8% likely in 2020? I mean, more than any year on record. Yeah, environmental, yeah. you know, the UNEP program estimates that actually we're going to need to have to do that drop um, annually every year consecutively until 2030 to just keep the temperature rise to 1.5 degrees and that's the objective Um, you know the scale of the challenge ahead of us uh, so set aside the Paris 21 targets for 2050 um, you know how confident are you that we're going to get on the right track in fighting climate change in the post-covid era? Well, I think ultimately it depends on us, doesn't
2: it? I mean, I, I think that, you know, with regards to the, the emissions and the, 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 the lower uh, emissions this year, um, you know, we, we've all sort of seen and enjoyed. And I think, you know, perhaps but just harking back just slightly to an earlier question on, on data points, you know, the renewable energy sector is, is as I understand, the only sort of growth um, industry within the energy sector, at the moment um, so which, which may also suggest that uh, you know renewable energy is more resilient um, providing data points for uh, investors to sort of do with what they will um, as, as, as you may know in, in Hong Kong we frequently endure some actually pretty horrendous air quality um, um, I mean, as bad as it gets here, then, you know, frankly, there are other cities in the region and in China that get it a lot worse. So we actually know what, uh, you know, we know what it feels like when carbon emissions are down and air quality is up, because actually we can see it, um, practically taste it uh, every day, pretty much every time we look out the window. So So I think we have to, you know... We have to acknowledge the need to reboot the economy quickly, and you know, not all freeze and you know are, are going to stay closed you know forever. But but we, time will tell whether you know we we as a community you know accept business as usual, and whether we accept business as usual if it means enduring kind of pre-COVID level pollution, um, um, or even, or indeed even worse. So, so you know, this whole business as usual concept presents sort of immeasurable risks, and 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 we'll just have to see what uh, what what you know we as individuals and as our corporates and our you know national and local governments etc cetera, etc cetera, um, how we want to respond to the you know, pretty stark you know um, facts that uh, that uh, COVID has provided to us. So, so you know, if, if I may perhaps, you know, just conclude by saying this, you know, when it comes to sustainability, you know, we all have choice. You know, we don't all have the opportunity to contribute financially, of course, but everyone can choose what to believe and, and frankly, whether we want to inform ourselves. You know, I think COVID has shown us how this plays out if we do nothing. You know, and, and as I mentioned earlier, it, COVID must be this sort of mother of all data points for uh, sustainable investing. So, so right now, at this particular moment, you know, before things, you know, have a chance to get back to normal, you know, we, we, we have to look at our governments and institutions, our corporates, and, and of course, ourselves as consumers, and we have to decide what choice we want to make. But, but perhaps for the first time, we're able to make a deeply informed choice about the sustainable future. Because you know we have COVID as the as the backdrop, and so and so you know if we choose to learn the hard lessons, then I, I, I think we have every reason to be confident that you know we, we collectively can indeed execute a sustainable and indeed global recovery and and really take the fight to climate change. So so I'm I'm, I'm glass half full mm. on uh, on this one, Andy, but. Um, it, it it all depends what people want to do. Well,
1: oh, well, thank you, And Frank, I, I think you must have been spending most of the week uh, contemplating and meditating. When it comes to sustainability, we all have choices. I think that's a, a new Chinese proverb. <laughs> so, Ben, okay. it remains to to me just to, to thank you ever so much for your for your for your, for your time today. A uh, sterling contribution, incredible insights, and some real powerful commentary there. Um, we end the webinar there, and we end. We would we, we will will be the, the formal proceedings of sustainable finance week so again thank you ever so much ben it's great to um, you know great to speak to you as ever um and every time i come away i come away with with, the, with a few more pearls of wisdom so thank you ever so much i hope our listeners to you too
2: thank you andy it's been a, a huge pleasure and uh, good luck for sustainable finance week and, and go Go andy.
1: thank you ever so much eh?